everyone. This is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 304. And tonight, we don't have a Night Vale episode. We will have one tomorrow, but that's a little late to wait to do a recording. I think so. That doesn't leave a whole lot of time for doing the edit before Thursday. No, no. However, there is some other stuff that we've got to discuss. Did you want to do a sit rep this week? I mean, my God, the world. <sighs> yeah, I mean, we're seeing what could be the beginning of a global conflict with Russia attacking Ukraine. We've got the total dumpster fire of that is politics in the US right now with yeah. people who would ordinarily I mean, it feels like it's so weird that in the Cold War, conservatives would be all over somebody if they could even point at them and say that they're supporting Russia or the Red Scare right. or anything like that. And now, apparently that's different because we've got a yeah. Democrat in the White House. Yeah. <sighs> I just, I mean, I just don't even know if I have anything intelligent to add. You know, it's just one of those things. It's, I got to tell you, the just watching the, just the people of Ukraine just go into town on these Russian soldiers. And I don't know, I mean, we've been hearing reports about Russian soldiers who have been surrendering because they never wanted to kill people in Ukraine. However, I also know that propaganda works both ways. Um, I would like to believe all these stories, but there is always that chance, you know, I, I keep hearing unconfirmed rumors. And I'm like, Oh, I want to believe that. But you know, I, I'm aware that even the good guys are going to use propaganda. And what side of the aisle you're on determines who's the good guys. So I don't know. I hope it's true, though. Yeah, well, I've been following the angry staffer on Twitter, and he yeah. seems to filter out a lot of the bullshit, I think. Yeah, I hope. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. But yeah, this week, um, I got an invitation from my friend Aaron to go see Fire Walk With Me at the Alamo Drafthouse yes. on February 24th, which is apparently Twin Peaks Day. Yes, I was unaware of this. Yeah, yes. totally unaware of that. But that was... Okay, well, it, it was fun in the way that watching a super dark movie can be fun. Yeah. But before they got started, they had someone, I think his name's Josh, and he's like one of the, when they do a host segment before one of these one-off movies that they show, and I think he also leads Trivia Night and stuff like that, and he talked for a little bit. He met someone from Ukraine in grad school, and they actually bonded over Twin Peaks. And so oh, obviously, wow. he just wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that he was freaking out. And he knew that a lot yeah. of other people were freaking out. And he said, so let's go ahead and have some escape and watch a movie about familial incest. And, you know, obviously, oh, he knew that it was all just ridiculous. But it was, I mean, it does bring it home for the fact that there's a lot of people out there that this affects personally, not just the yeah. people in the line of fire, but everybody connected to them. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I just hope for the best. I hope that the talks actually lead to something good. I hope that the sanctions work. Yeah, me too. I mean, and then I feel in a way, I mean, there's a lot of people in Russia who didn't want this war and didn't have anything to do with it. But the sanctions are going to hurt them too. I yeah. mean, the ruble is basically worth a, a US penny at this point. So it's, um, it's crazy. It's just crazy. But I don't know. Like I said, um, you know, there's a lot of charities. We will try and put a link in this podcast post to places that you can donate if you want to try and help the situation. Other than that, you know, try and make sure that when you're on Twitter that you're not passing on bad information because that's just making the situation worse. We could say that about, you know, the coronavirus stuff as well. But, of course. You know, just... Speaking of which, the numbers are still going down with the coronavirus. Yeah. So, I mean, they have um, dropped a lot of mask mandates here in California, which is usually the sign that the numbers are going to go back up again. I know. But, you know I know. Uh, they did the same thing here in North Carolina. Nathan and I actually went to the grocery store yesterday. 
without a mask. And it was just, Uh, I could get used to that. I'm just hoping that it's not going to turn right back around again. No, I'm still wearing a mask when I go into public spaces. I'm just like, I I can't. I mean, I'm I'm so happy to not have had a cold in the past couple years. So I don't mind. (laughs) Yeah, it's I've been following the numbers of percent positive, the two week average of the percent positive out of all the tests that are being done. We got up to like 26% in Omicron, which is as high as I've seen it. We're down to 6% now. So Uh, I hope we get there. Uh, My church still has a mask mandate. And the diocese, though, has said that um, they're going to waive that for people who are vaccinated if the county that you're in has a less than 7.5% positive. Right now, we're at 11 in Johnson County. So if it'll drop just a little bit more, we'll be that much closer to normality, whatever that oh. passes for normal nowadays. Yeah. yeah, I've been seeing a lot of like political cartoons and stuff like that. It's like coronavirus walking out of one door and a nuclear missile walking in the next door. And they're like waving to each other like, hey, how's it going by? Yeah, you know, it's just like we're just trading one global crisis for another at this point. Ah, I feel but, like I'm gonna uh, like my next big project will be make myself a nice decorative mask that I will just wear for the rest of my days and just be the yeah. person who wears the pretty steampunk mask. Yep, yep. Uh, speaking of which, uh, yeah, WonderCon tickets went on sale today. Um, at this point, Jada and I are planning on going. I guess it depends if between now and April. It's funny, I think the first day of WonderCon is on April 1st. I'm like, guys, would you just not do that? <laughs> you know? Jesus. Um, yeah, but I was telling her, I mean, I have this sort of half mask that I was going to try and get another like cloth mask to look good with it. Or I can make a nice steampunk mask to just wear, you know have a cloth mask under it, the steampunk mask on the outside, just be triple masked, whatever. But yeah, so we'll we'll see. That'll be my first big convention in over two years. Oh, <laughs> man. You know, I've still got those pieces of warbler that you gave me that was left over from the um, the Doctor Who robot costume. Wouldn't that Whoa. make an interesting steampunk mask? Yeah, it would. I know. I'm also trying not to... I mean, I've got... Basically, I have now one month to put something together before WonderCon. So I'd be like, don't drive yourself crazy. You need another project. You need another project, oh, definitely. I do not need another project. Ugh. Anyway, um, on other news, we figured one of the things that we could talk about today is our favorite categories for the Oscar nominations. I mean, I certainly like the technical effects one because that generally gets all the big sci-fi splashy stuff like Dune's on there. Oh, I hope mm-hmm. Dune wins a lot of awards. I do too. But... Our favorite categories have always been the animation categories, both the feature animation and the animated shorts. Now, we have not watched everything yet, but we have actually watched a significant portion. Yeah. Uh, Nathan and I also went to Alamo Draft House. I think the day after I went to the Alamo Draft House to see Fire Walk with me, and we saw the animated shorts program. So I have seen all of them, but you have seen everything except box ballet, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, just this afternoon, actually. I wasn't really planning on doing that I was thinking you know there's a few of the theaters in town that are showing them I thought I would just go like on my lunch break because it'd be practically deserted but then you had started sending me links for ones that are online you're like here's one here's one oh here's another one I'm like well screw it I'm just gonna watch them so yeah I right before we started this call I actually finished I was looking around for Bestia, which Mm -hmm. I had heard from a lot of people, including you, was not your favorite. I might have found one on YouTube, but I wasn't sure if it was a good link. It was on Vimeo. It was $2 and like 25 cents to rent it. And I'm like, whatever, I'm just going to watch it. (laughs) That, I don't usually use this term, but... 
That is a distasteful film, isn't it? It is, and I think it's deliberate. It's about a Chilean torturer, a woman mm-hmm. who was referred to as the woman with the dogs because she would train her German shepherd to sexually assault the people that she was torturing. And yep. it's all done in this suburb that she just, you know, it just shows her going about her day, feeding her dog, walking to work, signing in, torturing people. They don't actually show the moments of torturing, but, you know, then they show, you know, wrapped bodies being shoved into the back of a car and hauled away. So, um, I think, I mean, one of the things, now they had a warning at Alamo Draft House. They oh, actually, sure. the production stopped right before this one and um, Desires of the Art to let people know if you've got small children, this would probably be a good time to leave. And I think that right. was a good call for yeah. different reasons. For this one, there was that one scene where, you know, the woman has obviously put some jam on some place for her dog to lick off. And it's, yeah, that was definitely and whatever. Like, I feel like, I mean, I don't that obviously they never proved that this woman did all this. She was never convicted. She actually survived an assassination attempt and then pretended to her superiors that she'd lost her memory from it and oh, wow. you know went I think to America and died in 2001. So oh, wow. I think she was interviewed and insisted that none of it had happened. It was being made up, but it's pretty clear there were a lot of people who told the stories. Right. But I feel like that one scene was a deliberate choice on the part of the filmmakers. It's like if there's any portion of this woman's soul that is still around and aware, just to see that and him saying, yeah, I'm saying that's what you did. What you going to do about it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they wanted to show like... I wanted to really emphasize the ugliness of the situation and also how she was, I mean, people throw around the word evil and it's kind of hard to sort of pinpoint that. I mean, what is evil and everything? Pretty clear we figured out, you know, anyone who would do the types of things that she did, whatever. Um, So that's why, I mean, like I said, I have a hard time using the word distasteful because I think it tends to be used by people who... They don't want you to watch something because they think maybe it's not morally right or whatever. Certainly a lot of discussion in this country over things that children should and shouldn't watch that is getting a little creepy. Um, But yeah, I think distasteful really works pretty well for this movie. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch it. I'm saying go into it with your eyes open because wow. (laughs) Yeah. And the animation style was interesting as well because... The it was I guess it was stop motion. It was either stop motion mm-hmm. animation or really really clever three D. But the yeah. character was a porcelain doll, you know, mm-hmm. a very rotund porcelain doll, expressionless the entire time. And yeah. it was amazing how much expression you can get out of something that has no expressions yeah. when you're doing something like this. Exactly. There were several moments when I was just like trying to look at the face going, how much? I mean, because you could see like little micro changes in the face just to help with the expressions, but it wasn't much. It was really very subtle, but it was, I, as far as I know, it is stop motion animation and it is very, very technically well done. Mm-hmm. I was quite impressed. Also, no dialogue in the entire thing. And nope. yet you really do figure out everything that's going on. Yeah. Well, so uh, it's one of those things, you know, kind of rubbing people's face in their history and saying, look, mm-hmm. it's it's not something we want to remember, we got to remember that a military dictatorship was in charge and these things were happening. Yep, yep. They say a lot of people do try and deny that that period of history ever happened. And I'm like, well, we certainly see that in this country as well. Yes, we do. If if it's uncomfortable, then we obviously shouldn't talk about it because then that means nobody suffered at all. So we can just pretend it never happened. Right. 
Anyway, moving on. The, um, what is it? Affairs of the Art or Matters of Art? Affairs the of, of the Art. Uh, Joanna Quinn and Blaze Mills. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing everybody's names wrong, but this is actually a pre-existing character, Beryl, that this animator has been doing for ages. And Affairs of the Art, I gotta say, this was my favorite one out of the group. And the animation style was so dynamic. Just all the expressions on everyone's faces and the way she would articulate her words as she talked and sort of just the funny nature of the story and people who just do crazy. It's sort of talking a little bit about, I don't know, obsession, I guess, but also in the pursuit of happiness, no matter what, like what really honest to God makes you happy. You know, it just, it was a really, really fun film. Probably any like real passionate animal lovers may want to be careful about watching this one. Yeah, because she remembers growing up with a sister who was kind of obsessed with disasters and dead things and whatever like that. And she basically kills a mouse by repeatedly having it drive a toy train and crashing the train and then blowing up the train. And it's just, you know, it's all done with humor but also like really gets in your face the fact that she pretty much traumatized a mouse to death. And then there's also a bit where Beryl is remembering about her son just bonded with this pigeon and just adored this pigeon with a broken wing and then comes home to find the pigeon in two pieces and a neighborhood Mm -hmm. cat slinking away. So the boy plots revenge and kills the cat with a crossbow. And it's done very fast. You do not see the cat suffering. You just see the cat dead. But it's one of those things, if you don't like bad things happening to animals, maybe skip this one too. But really, the animation and everybody's expressions and the fact that oh, you know, her sister's got these gigantic teeth when she's talking and the way she <laughs> animates her mouth and this whole thing with her sister daydreaming about going to visit Lenin's tomb and like bonding with Lenin and them flying through the air to go get Piroshki's. And it's just weird, but so fun. So fun. Also, there's a bit with uh, her taxiderming a dog, so you might want to watch that one too. I don't know what the hell it was with like animal mutilation in these animated shorts this year, but it did seem to be a bit of a theme. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, I, I do think that was probably out of the four that I watched today. Oh, it's a toss-up, though, because... Oh, really? Yeah. Um, what is it? Windshield Wiper? Yes. Oh, my. That Man. was a lovely surprise when we were watching really, this. And I'm going... Really was. And I'm just thinking, and I'm thinking, I'm like, this is the animator who did The Witness in uh, Love, Death, and Robots. Yep. 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 I don't remember what was the moment when I was watching it, when I just kind of like sat up in my chair, and I'm like, this is the same people who did The Witness. I mean, you can really tell. But it's just... I got choked up so many times watching it because it's really just talking about the nature of love and the fact that love encompasses like, and it's talking about like more relationship love, not like love of your children or love of your country or love of art or whatever. It's really talking about love between adults and what it looks like. And a lot of it is very dark because it's also talking about love that goes wrong. But it's just, it's really brilliant. I will honestly say the the stories, you see these tiny little pieces of stories and you get like this whole lifetime crammed in like, oh God, like 30 seconds. Yeah. You know? And it's um, Alberto Mielgo, I think, is the main animator. It says here, um, Alberto Mielgo and uh, Leo Sanchez. 
but it's that vibrant, vibrant animation that you saw yes. in The Witness. And apparently that is not rotoscoped. It is all 3D rendering, which shocked me. The way they do this almost photorealistic, but not, but just just off kilter enough that you never really hit an uncanny valley because it pulls yep. it into the sphere of animation. And I mean, that one little segment of these two people, they're on their phones on Tinder and they're swiping, oh swiping, goodness. and they're, and they're in a grocery store standing right next to each other, reaching behind them for the same items on the shelf each time and not realizing the other person is there. And then at one point, they both like stop on each other's photograph and they're looking down and they swipe to accept it. And they get the little, the cheery noise about, you've got a match, say something nice to this person or keep scrolling and they both just stare down and then they keep scrolling and they go right back to that just like missing the relationship literally by inches and I loved the way they did all of it and that was where it really stood out to me that and the scenes of the buildings that he draws the architecture that really reminds me very much of how he did the witness I thought oh just beautiful oh the boy the the woman standing on top of the building like the look on her face you have no idea what happened to her but the look on your face is just she's just gutted whatever is that's happened to her you're just looking at this just absolutely just almost dead-eyed horror on her face it's just crazy but the thing that got to me was you know you've got this homeless guy he's obviously out of it and he's looking in through a window at this mannequin and he's talking to this woman Mildred and you see him just like Lino. he's just talking and wanting her to come back and everything he's obviously clearly out of his mind but he leans his head against the window and says I'm doing better. And it's just, oh, it just breaks your friggin' heart. He's he's talking to a headless mannequin and obviously just sees Mildred the entire time. And he's trying to convince her that he's better now. And I'm just, oh, Oh, man. Just, yeah, I think that was definitely my favorite. But I'll tell you, I think Robin Robin's going to get it. And this is cynical of me because nine times out of 10, the animated short is going to go to the family friendly one. And that's what Robin Robin is. Okay. Now with Robin Robin, there were two wonderful surprises as far as the voice actors in that one. So which ones did you catch? Oh my, well, I definitely got Jillian Anderson because you saw her name in the credits. And then when she shows up and she is the cat and I'm like, of course she's the cat and it's awesome. And she's doing that that almost breathless Margaret Thatcher voice that she yeah. did in The Crown and it's just so menacing and just oh, combined with the wonderful animation uh, that's it's all felt. Apparently this is mm-hmm. the first time that Ardman Animations has done an, a stop motion animation that wasn't the plasticine models like what he did in a Wallace and Gromit. But it just so wonderfully expressive and yes it is a family friendly one and it, it really is, is a story that has been done before it's you know a robin's egg manages to fall to the ground and it lands right next to the home of a group of mice and then it hatches so they decide to raise the robin as one of them but i just i love the wrinkle in the fact that the mice have to be sneaky in order to get into people's houses to get food so 
Robin is being sneaky as well, but she's terrible at it, but she has no idea, no clue at all that she's that terrible at being a mouse. Nope, nope. And the way they animate her, I love her voice. I don't recognize the actress. I loved her voice, the way she would deliver her lines. I love the little songs that she would sing and the little hopping that she would do across to dance and and like almost like the Rube Goldberg series of events that would happen as she banged into things. And I also loved the magpie. The magpie, whose voice was done by Richard E. Grant, Mr. Classic Loki himself. And he was great because he (laughs) just, he loved things. He's a magpie. He loves shiny things. And he sings an entire song about how things make life worth living. And it's brilliant. It's great. And it's gorgeous. I mean, not just the animation, but all the sets are beautiful. All the pieces, the way they do the humans. <laughs> they talk about the human house and everything. <laughs> and like, they get into a snowball fight. And I did not realize that you could be that convincing of like splatted snowballs made out of felt. Made out of felt. And the the magpie's expression when he would see something new that would dazzle him. Like towards the end, they're getting ready to sneak into another human house and the magpie's just standing back. And I think he was complaining about something. And then someone hands him a spoon and he's just delighted. <gasps> the expression was perfect every time. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to call it that that's the one that's going to get it. Cause it, I just don't see the Oscars go. It's not going to go to Bestia. I'm going to say it right now. Unfortunately, that is a brilliant film. It is done exceptionally well and tells a story that absolutely must happen. There's no way the Oscars go into that one. Nathan's favorite one, I think, was Box Ballet. And that is just a story of a ballet dancer having a chance meeting with a boxer who's on the way out of his career and she's on the way up in her career. And it's, it's a Beauty and the Beast story. And it's just... I mean, it's so touching. I mean, he he falls out of a tree rescuing a cat, and she takes him home and puts Band-Aids on him and serves him tea. And he tries to go get a sugar cube, but realizes there's only one left. So, like, the next day you see him climbing up the stairs with a 50-pound sack of sugar that he leaves at her door for her to open up, and there's just all this sugar because he didn't want her to be without sugar. It's Aww. It's that kind of thing. It's really very sweet. And I think... Along with Robin Robin, it tells the most like traditional storytelling beats, I think. Sure. All the rest of them were more, I don't know, vignettes or more kind of, emotional yeah. than telling a story with a you know beginning, middle, and end. But yeah, I, I, I thought it was very sweet. I just, Affairs of the Art, I was so dazzled by how they did the animation and the sounds and the her the way she's talking. I think she's Scottish, I think. At one point, she talks about like being in love with drawing again, being obsessed with drawing. And she actually says the word, oh, out loud. And I think that's a, <laughs> a very, very Scottish thing. So I guess, so your favorite is Affairs of the Art mm-hmm. and mine's Windshield Wiper, I think. Yeah. It's close. I like them both. But I think... I was just so stunned by, and the fact that it was the same person to the witness, which as we've talked about many times on this podcast, the witness was problematic for me in Love, Death and Robots because I'm like, eh, it's it's fetishizing violence against women. You know, she's running for her life, terrified and she's naked. And I was like, eh, whatever. But I can't deny the fact that the witness was gorgeous. And to see that same animation in a story that I really liked a lot better, even though, I mean, it's not like a happy story. Don't go into it thinking it's happy. It's just 
kind of realistic. Yeah. You know? And I don't know that that one's going to win mostly because of the sexual content. I mean, That's you actually exactly. see, yeah. you see yeah. people with, you know, their penises hanging out and people yeah. like yeah. having full on sex and everything. And it's not, doesn't bother me, but it feels no. like it would be very odd for them to, for the Oscars to award something like that. But, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Speaking of sexual content. <laughs> The bit in the Affairs of the Art where Beryl is trying on the push-up bra. And oh, like my goodness. Trying to cram herself into it and just basically slapping her breasts from here to kingdom come, trying to get herself into this thing. And she's <laughs> finally finishing up. Ah, fuck it. <laughs> so adorable. Just that one was hilarious. So, yeah, um, Robin Robin is available on Netflix. Um mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure Bestia is available on YouTube. So I think mm-hmm. everything, you know, other than Robin Robin and um, Box Ballet is available on YouTube to watch. And I really, I highly recommend them. But they're also in theaters right now. And I think they're going to make them available officially, like the official Oscar program for those is going to be available sometime later in March. Yeah, yeah. It's actually more than I usually see of certain, you know, Oscar nominated stuff. Just on a side note, I've actually watched four of the five Oscar-nominated documentary shorts. They are all available. The only one I haven't been able to find yet is one called When We Were Bullies or We Were Bullies, something like that. Um, Everything else is available. Once again, you know, documentaries, they're not always particularly happy. But this one, they weren't all terrible. There's one called Three Songs for Benazir, which is not happy. Um, It's basically talking about people living in a war-torn country. You know, it is, it is not a happy story. Lead Me Home, talking about homeless people. Um, But Audible is actually talking about a deaf school and their football team. And I think that is actually fairly hopeful. And then The Queen of Basketball is about a female basketball star that you've probably never heard of, but she's got a fascinating story. And it's not, that's not happy all the way through, but it is more happy than not. So yeah, uh, not as bad as it normally can be. But all four of those I just mentioned, you can find them online. And there's not like bootleg copies. They're officially there. I understand you got to sell tickets and you got to support your film and everything. Give me a link to actually purchase a rental of these movies because some of them, they just never get available to stream or even have a screening. And I'm like, I'd like to see your movie. Please let me give you money. <laughs> yes. That's why I was so glad that um, Pear Cider and Cigarettes became available <gasps> for purchase on Amazon. Mm. So I now mm. own that friggin' movie. And it's just, yeah. it's so good. It was just as good the second time as it was when I first yes. saw it. Oh my God. And another one that, you know, watching it, you're like, yeah, the Oscar's not going to go to this one. It's no. just, it's a little too adult. Though it was interesting. Some of those, um, I think um, Windshield Wiper was, oh, how long was that one? That was pretty long, right? Yeah. yeah. All of these were 16, 15, 16 minutes at the very least, I think. So yeah. they were yeah. pretty, pretty sizable. Yeah. I remember when uh, Pear Cider and Cigarettes came out, when it, where they were showing it in the theater and they would show the title card before it started and they'd show the runtime for it. And that one came up and it said 34 minutes. And the whole audience was like, whoa, you know, that's like <laughs> worth that's a it, really though. long short. Definitely oh, oh, God, yes. So worth it. So good. So then we also have the Oscar nominated animated 
features, and we've actually seen two of them so far. We finally took, well, Elizabeth did this a, a few days ago, but I finally took Hannah's recommendation, and I watched Encanto yesterday. And all day mm. today, I've been calling up the songs on YouTube and watching and listening to them on repeat. So it's delightful. It's dazzling. I mean, just really? the color scheme and the style and the architecture and the dresses and everything and the way everybody dances. I love oh, the way man. everyone dances. I love everybody's like facial features are so distinct. Like you've got the one sister who can hear everything. And she's just, she has a certain facial feature and her hair is done in a certain way. And she's very appealing. But I also like, she just makes these tiny little peeping noise every once in a while when she's like kind of excited or scared or nervous or whatever. It's cute. I just love that where, um, Ah, that Mirabelle's father was telling her just to keep quiet about this one thing and nobody will need to know. And then you suddenly see that Dolores with the super hearing is across the room and she's saying, I know, peep. And then she instantly turns to the side and disappears off. And I just, I don't know how they managed to animate that so perfectly, but I just love perfect. that moment. Yes, all of her sisters are fantastic. Every single one of them. She is delightful. The magical effects are amazing. The design of the house, the way the house moves. I mean, you know that there had to have been so many people sitting down to be like, okay, so the house is going to be a character and the house is going to make things happen. How do we make things happen with the house. And the way they do it a lot of the times is like by having the tiles and stairs and everything move in such a rippling way as to bounce things into people's way or kind of like scooch them along the floor. It's it's really, I mean, the personality shines right through. I don't know how they managed to do that. I mean, they did that with the water in um, Moana, yes. I remember. Like, yes. like you could see the personality of the freaking water. And in here, you can see the personality of uh, Casita, the house. Yes. And the music. Now, the music. what is the name of the song that got actually nominated for Best Original Song? Dos Origuitos. Yeah. I looked up the translation of that is Two Caterpillars. And it's a love song and singing about two caterpillars bonding and then learning to let go and transforming into butterflies, that sort of thing. It's definitely thematically perfect. I don't know why that one was the one that they put forward because, I mean, yeah. we don't talk about Bruno. That is the one that everybody apparently was humming when they left the theater. Oh, that yeah. one oh, is, yeah. that is delightful. I mean, I, for some reason, one of my favorite bits in that is a little dance that uh, Mirabelle and Dolores do when uh, mm -hmm. Dolores is telling her about hearing Bruno muttering to himself all the time and she's whispering the whole time as she's telling that. Uh, but I'll tell you. Uh, what else can I do? The uh, song that Mirabelle and Isabella sing when Isabella yes. is realizing that she doesn't have to just make pretty flowers all the time. She can make cactus. She can make carnivorous plants. She can make pollen spraying all over the place. And it just, I don't know why I love that one so much, but that was the one that I listened to a bunch of times. I mean, that, that one lyric about... A hurricane of Hakareñas, I think, is yes. what she was saying. Love that lyric. Just oh, yeah. It was all the way they make the characters move and fly through the air and dance and flip their skirts around and, you know, just all so amazingly pleasing. And the dialogue is always so good. And the way the dialogue comes across, like the two of them are talking and Isabella is telling Mirabelle that she's going to have to apologize. And she's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and she goes on to say something like that your life is so perfect. And Isabella's like, out. <laughs> just kind of very, very quick 
delivering the dialogue, but I also like it when Mirabelle was trying to get into Bruno's room and she's kind of wandering through the terrible terrain and everything. And one of the toucans actually comes up and she's like, oh, hey, a new friend. And you've flown away already. Great. (laughs) (laughs) And Bruno was fun. And her reaction to Bruno is like, how long have you been living here? Just (laughs) with the mice. Oh, my goodness. All the mice. But that confrontation between Mirabelle and uh, Abuela, when Mirabelle has realized that she can actually fix the cracks in the uh, Lacazette, Sita by helping the family members because everybody is under so much pressure to be strong enough, to be perfect enough, to do everything right. And it's the fact that they're miserable that is causing the house to start breaking and the magic to start dying. And Abuela doesn't want to hear it. She says it's all Mirabelle's fault because it all started when she didn't get a magic power. And that just gets you right in the heart when she says that. Watching Mirabelle's face just fall when Abuela starts telling that because you know Mirabelle's been thinking that to herself that there's something wrong the, what's wrong with the house is what's wrong with her and she's been trying to fix it and to have Abuela throw it into her face like that oh it's a gut punch but man just really and the songs themselves are so fun because there's so many different layers on top of it that's why we don't talk about Bruno is so interesting to listen to because there's many, many different people singing different things because it's Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's so good at doing those kind of layered performances and everything. Oh, I really love that one. Yeah. I, um, I actually looked up the trivia on that and you know what that type of singing is called, right? You know, I looked it up too, but I forget. What is it called? It's a magical, which magical. is the name yes. of the family. Yeah. yeah that's, right. <laughs> that's a nice little touch there, but yep. there are some theories online about, why uh, Mirabelle didn't get a power and what that means and what that means in the ending. Well, Abuela doesn't have a power either that she's just, she is the person in charge. And this is a really big sign that Mirabelle's going to be the one to be the head of the family when Abuela uh, is no longer here. And I thought that was very nice. And especially those little touches like um, Antonio, her little cousin who was so nervous to go to the ceremony to find out what his power is. What does Mirabelle do the first, before the ceremony, she gives him a handmade, uh, leopard doll that she made from because mm-hmm. she knows he likes animals. And then what is his power? He can talk to animals. Yep. And yep. I thought, yep. I thought it was interesting. If I remember right, one of the theories, you see everybody's door and there's always like a figure of the person on the door. Now everybody gets their powers when they're a kid, but the doors are showing everybody as an adult. Mm-hmm. And yet Antonio, his figure is this as a little child. And it's because Abuela was always the one to lead the other people to their doors when mm-hmm. they were kids. But Mirabel was the one who led Antonio. And while Abuela is looking at what they're going to become, how they can help the family, how they can help the town and everything. Mirabel was concentrating on Antonio as he was right at that moment. And that's why the door showed him as a child, not as an adult. So I thought that was a neat theory too. Yeah. And Abuela definitely was influencing, well, this is the theory, that she was influencing what their powers would be based on what she saw in their personality. Like. Right. Louisa always wanting to be helpful. So her power is strength. So she can do everything all the time. And uh, with her children, though, I mean, Mirabelle's mother had a healing power and Mm -hmm. Mirabelle's aunt could control the weather. And Mm -hmm. Mirabelle's uncle 
Bruno could see the future. And these were all things that her abuela would have been really focusing on after losing everything that she had and starting over in a new place. Right. She wanted right. to have the perfect weather and everybody healthy and to be able to see what's coming. Yep, yep, yep. I love how everybody's costume really reflects what their powers are, too. Oh, speaking of her aunt who controls the weather, oh my God, it just... <laughs> because I feel like we all know someone like that woman, you know, just... And we know that there are people that if they had the control over the weather, yes, they would literally be a thundercloud above them at all all times, but it just, I really like that. And definitely the speaking the disaster to them is brings on the disaster. You know, if they have to acknowledge the worst that can happen, they're going to be laser focused on the worst that could happen, which is definitely what was happening with Peppa, her aunt, who I think Bruno made some mention about it looking like rain at her wedding. And she never forgave him for that because of course she then made it rain, but you know, it was Bruno, the fact that he left the family or, well, left to hide in the house where no one would find him because he saw, he had that vision of Mirabelle standing in front of the house, possibly either cracking to pieces or whole. And he yeah. knew what that would do to Mirabelle. And this idea that he he lived like that for 10 years because he didn't want to hurt Mirabelle. And I oh. just, he was such a great character. I mean, everybody's he talking was. him up as being this very nefarious person. But the first thing he does when he sees Mirabelle is makes a run for it. And the second thing he does is stops her from falling off a cliff. And just, yes. <laughs> well, a cliff. It's like a, looks like a cliff with a bunch of smoke. And then he fall, he slips and falls and he's just like standing and he waves the smoke away and it's just like, you know, three feet deep and he goes, huh, and then walks away. (laughs) (laughs) How much do you want to bet that that, because basically his visions sort of form as like a piece of glass that kind of looks etched so that when you turn it, it's like those little holographic type of glass that when you change it in certain directions, the picture, the background changes a little bit. How much do you want to bet Disney's going to be selling those suckers? I I would be disappointed if they didn't. I I would kind of like to have one of that. Oh, my God. That one scene when the house is finally falling to pieces and Mirabelle's trying to save the candle. And I love the fact that they made sure that she saw that Bruno got out because then she would not have to worry about the fact that he was still somewhere buried in the house. But the way he gets out is he's running through the corridors and he's grabbing for the mice to put him in his poncho so they'll be safe. And then he puts a bucket on his head and goes sideways into a wall and just kind of boom, blasts his way out (laughs) through the wall. (laughs) There's so much going on. I mean, you could definitely watch it several times and catch more details that are really going by way too fast to see it the first time through. So, yeah, I um, I know Raya and the Last Dragon is also up for Best Animated Feature. Yes. And I yes. did enjoy that one. I, Me too. I think Encanto is better. I do. Um, I mean, and I love some dragons, and I really loved Raya. But I just, I don't, hmm. I do think the story in Raya and the Last Dragon is very compelling, but I don't think it's as contained. I feel like Encanto is a really self-contained story. Raya tends to feel a little more sprawling, I suppose. Not in a bad way, but I just, I feel like it's going to resonate. Encanto is going to resonate more with people, I think. I think with, with the movies like Encanto, and it's the same as the movie Coco, and also in a way Moana... I like what they do when they make a movie that the antagonist is not the bad guy that has to be defeated in a way. I mean, especially with Moana, you know, 
everybody in there, nobody gets destroyed in that movie, really. Um, the main bad guy is someone who's been hurt before, and that's what they're reacting about. I mean, you saw that with the overbearing grandmother in Coco. You saw this with the overbearing grandmother in, in Canto. Is this hmm. like what Disney thinks um, uh, grandmothers are like, or is this more I of a cultural know. thing? It does. They definitely do seem to portray grandmothers as being like a force of nature, which, you know, yeah. I think ours were in a way, but maybe not this bad. Goodness, no. I definitely have uh, Latino friends who talk about their abuelas who would throw chunklas. Have you ever heard of chunklas? Mm -mm. It's a flip-flop. They'll throw a flip-flop at your head. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. It's definitely a theme, but I'm I'm glad that they're doing it. God, it's so colorful. Oh, so colorful. Just real. I can't say it enough. Dazzling. Yeah. Yeah. The other nominated films, Luca is up, and that is the Pixar one. So, I mean, we've got Raya and Encanto were two Disney ones, so it's amazing. They both had two in a year. But Luca, I have heard good things about, not not anybody losing their mind about it. I mean, Mm-mm. apparently it's a really good story, so I should. You've got one called Flea, which I have never heard of. And nope. then the only reason why I know about the Mitchells versus the Machines is because the ad campaigns behind it have been everywhere lately. And I can't tell. Maybe it's just serving it up to me, you know, because I know that online ads are definitely tailored, which is pretty cool if they're going to be like, here's an animated movie you should watch. I'm like, maybe I will. But yeah, (laughs) I never heard anything about that before this ad campaign started. So I don't know. I should... I should definitely check it out for completest sake. It just does make me worried when it comes out of nowhere and I don't know anybody who saw it. Well, it is kind of hard to beat the Pixar Disney juggernaut sometimes. So maybe yeah. they, they feel like they need to blast the uh, information out there so they could be heard. Fair. Yeah, it's a, uh, I guess Netflix did Mitchell versus the Machines. I don't know, I guess. Uh, Ooh, speaking of Machines, there was another short that you told Ooh. me about that we were able to watch on Disney Plus that was a Adorable. Yes. And what was that one called again? I swear to God, I can't remember. Um, Hang on. Let me look this up. Smash and Grab. It's by Pixar. There you go. Yes. Okay, good. Yes, thank you. Now, the way I found it was uh, last year, I think it was last year. I don't know. Time has no meaning in a pandemic. We had found the animated short Burrow, which is the one about the little rabbit trying to make her little home. And all by herself. Yeah. All by herself. And this 2D animation and the sound effects, I went and watched it again. Holds up. Really fun. But then, of course, it serves up like, oh, if you like that, you might like this. And this is Disney Plus that I found it. So Smash and Grab pops up as part of the same Spark Shorts series. And Pixar, you said, right? Uh, it says it right here, I think. Man, and it's like eight minutes, I Oh, think. yeah. Yeah, not much more than that, definitely. And it's two robots. And they're definitely kind of like industrial robots doing some type of operation with oars and whatever. <sighs> It is so intriguing and just really appealing to look at how they did the design of everything. And the sound effects. I love yes. what they can do. I mean, it's the same thing. You saw a lot of that in WALL-E, that if the robots have a sound of, like, if they have to talk, a lot of times they won't have actual dialogue. They'll just have noises. And each robot will make a different kind of noise. And it's always so fun yes. to hear that. And then I think you pointed out 
they do expressions with just eyes. I mean, one of the robots in this one only has one eye, but he still yeah. has expressions with how the little uh, irising thing opens and closes on his eye. And it's just, it's two Sorry. robots and they're chained inside a train, I guess, powering. It's like the uh, the sci-fi version of shoveling coal into the uh, engine. Yeah. Um, but one of them sees like a new type of robot coming in that actually doesn't have to be chained to the power source. They have portable ones and he figures out I think he figures out they're about to be replaced and he manages to break them both out and they make a run for it and oh my god it just never stops being cute. It is really and it's also exciting too. I mean you've got this train rocketing through and you've got the sort of soldier robots coming after him and they fight him off and it's really very fun and I think probably pretty family friendly in its way. I mean, lots of explosions, but really very fun. <laughs> no gore. That's you can't no have gore. any gore with robots, so. I would, nope, nope. I would be interested to see if maybe Smash and Grab actually appear as um characters in other movies. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice if they got their own feature-length movie? Oh, I'd watch it. I would too. I'm surprised it didn't get nominated for anything. It was really very good. Yeah, you know? and that was um yeah. back in 2019 this came out, so it's wow. been out a while. Wow. Okay, so when I said that Burrow was nominated last year i'm relatively certain that was the same they both came out the same year i think so i'm like oh my god (laughs) time the only other thing i want to mention real fast is i did watch the power of the dog which is on netflix and that's up for best picture and very interesting really really very interesting also i'm just going to go ahead and say nobody hurts a dog in this thing so in case you're wondering good to know it's fine yes exactly the dog is fine it never went the way that I thought it was going to go. And I think one of the things is, I know you can have multiple main characters in a movie, but it takes a really long time to figure out who is the main character of this story. And even when you get to the end, you're not entirely sure, but you have a slightly better idea by the time you get to the end. So, I've yeah. heard it described as a real slow burn of a movie. And it's oh, directed, yeah. it's the same director. She also did The Piano. So they yes. talked a little bit about this on the Best Pick podcast when they did an episode on The Piano. So, uh, and uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch doing a, a passable accent, I understand. Seems to be pretty good. It is interesting, though, the way his character is, there's a very deliberate style. And you could say, I don't know is if this is the actor making a choice, or is it the actor and his ability with an American accent? Uh, but it could just very well be the character. And the character has a particular, I think, by the time you get to the end, you figure there's a reason why he talks that way. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. Yeah, no. I think it's solid. I think it is. Now, I haven't watched a lot of the other best pick. I mean, oh, my God, I would love for Dune to get it. But, um, yeah, I I can see why The Power of the Dog got a lot of nominations for a lot of reasons. I've, I understand a lot of people are putting that one on as the favorite to win just because of the sheer number of nominations. Yeah, like 12, I think. Wow. So it's just, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely good. And it's I don't I mean, it's not like three hours. It's over two hours, I think. But for all that it's a slow burn, I think I ended up watching it in like two sessions. And you know me, usually I just have to watch something 15, 20 minutes and get up and do something else and watch again. I don't do this when other people are around, by the way, because that would drive people <laughs> absolutely crazy. No, this is just me when I'm watching stuff on my own. Um, but I think I sat down and watched that one all the way through because by the time you get about halfway through, you're like, 
what's going to happen here? So, yeah. <laughs> Did you watch it on Amazon? No, uh, Netflix. Netflix. It's, Netflix it's, it's, on, it's, it's a Netflix production. Yes. Fantastic. Okay, yep. going to have to add that to the list. Yep, 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 yep. But I guess that's going to wrap us up for the week, so make sure to check out PixelatedGeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the fan art galleries. Speaking of movie reviews, we are trying to get reviews of as many Oscar-nominated films on the site as possible, so keep a lookout for that. We are chipping away at him a little bit um we'll keep updating all the way through to what is it november uh november <laughs> march 28th i think something like that yeah look that up before the podcast why we prepare but anyway yeah oh all that and more pixeladygeek.com so we will definitely have night veil vale next week that'll be good um no laura olympus uh, <sighs> what two more months now i think something like that i don't know i have no idea she did say it could be as much as four months so maybe it'll be less maybe she'll surprise us i want her to get plenty of rest but ooh, and i read the first issue of saga which finally came back from mm-hmm. hiatus and you've read the first two issues oh yeah oh boy yeah it's Staying pretty true to form. That's all I'm going to say. It oh, really, really is. The shot of Hazel in that first issue when she's escaping from the soldiers by just taking out her wings and flying over the rooftops. That was such a glorious picture. Oh, I mean, yes. the, the issue was worth the price of purchase just with that one page. Yeah, yeah. And there is always one, at least one image in every issue that will stick with you and there's a different one i will discuss it when you read the next one we will have a discussion because it's just brian k vaughn doing things with introducing characters very quickly and making you feel things about them very quickly so yeah i uh yeah you need to read that we'll talk more about that because i don't want to spoil anything but uh you know one way or the other we will talk to everybody in one week talk to y'all later Just a second. I'm going to get names right on this friggin' one. Um, cool. Oh my god, everything's so slow. Do you remember what the name was? I don't I, remember. What I the name don't was. remember. Hang on a second. Did you send me a message? Sorry, I guess we had a delay. There was a thing. But just a bit of a delay, not too bad. It's, a, it's actually really bad. <laughs> I think it's pretty bad. Oh boy, hang on a second. Yeah. Wait, wait. Ping. Pong.
Oh, wow. It is pretty bad. Should we, uh, should we yeah. like, end the call and come back on again? Yeah, let me try and do that. I'm going to make sure I've shut down a few programs. So keep your recorder going. Yeah. But yeah, I'll call you. Um, uh, we'll hang up and I'll send you a new link. Okay, yes. All right. All right. Bye. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. So maybe this will be better. Yeah. Yeah. Ping. Uh, pong. Ping. Pong. Okay. Yeah, much better. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs>